This is One Place Great Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Chris Radigan. Now, Chris is a writer, uh, but he is also a, an editor and publisher, and it was really uh, that aspect that uh, made me want to definitely get him on the show as soon as possible because uh, I thought that uh, some of the Writers out there might appreciate a little bit of a discussion of the craft, and I know that a lot of readers are also interested in what goes on behind the curtain. So uh, I think Chris is a great example of uh, some some tremendous editors that are out there, uh, guys like Jim Thompson and, and, and folks like that as well. Uh, so we're going to talk to Chris about his own writing and about his editing and publishing. Uh, but before we do that, I want to remind you that Wrong Place, Right Crime, is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. Uh, if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, and I'm guessing you would be, you can check it out uh, and learn more at downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. Uh, now I am coming at you from... Wrong Place Right Crime Headquarters in Central Oregon, and it is a very bright and sunny day uh, here. Uh, just uh, just kind of riding out this uh, whole quarantine situation like the rest of you. Uh, hope uh, you're not going stir-crazy. I'm, uh, I'm lucky to, to be sharing my living space with people who are easy to live with, uh, and uh, uh, it's not so bad that I can't actually get out and go for a walk, so, so that's nice. Hope it's the same for you. Uh, but, but wherever you are, uh, I think you'll enjoy this interview with Chris. Uh, so let's get right to it. Let's talk to Chris Radigan. Well, hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, Frank. Thanks for having me on. So usually, uh, not always, but usually uh, the guests on this show are authors, mostly crime fiction authors, which you qualify as that. But I think your main gig is uh, as an editor. That's correct. And I thought it would be interesting for the uh, writers and those who are interested in inside baseball out there to uh, have someone like yourself come on the show that uh, can maybe talk a little bit about some of the things that uh, that writers don't necessarily uh, see in the same way or, or see quite as well. That's why we need editors. Yeah, uh, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to lose sight of the fact that you are also a, a writer. So maybe we'll start there. So with the assistance of my sidekick, Detective Google, uh, I have you down <laughs> for a couple of books, one of which has the uh, uh, very noirish title of Two Bullets Solve Everything. And I, when I read that, it made me think of that uh, old saying about how three can keep a secret. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't title that book, actually. That was a, um, a joint novella project. There was one novella by myself, and then Ryan Sales also wrote a novella for that. Um, that was one of the first books that All Due Respect published, and um, that was very fitting for, uh, for what All Due Respect was going for. Well, you mentioned All Due Respect, um, and, and that's kind of an interesting entity because it's both a, uh, a publisher uh, of novels and novellas, but it's also an online magazine. That's right. Uh, it started as an online magazine, and then we, over the years, expanded into, into a magazine that was both print and ebook. And then in about 2015, 
uh, we started as a publishing house, um, and then because I because I don't know how to manage my time well, I restarted the online crime fiction uh, side of it this year with uh, with David Nemeth, and so we've been publishing uh, one story every month, and then those stories will be collected into an anthology later um, this year. It's oh, kind of a cool concept. In 2017, we merged with Down and Out Books, or we became an imprint of Down and Out Books. Um, I ran it for the first two years with the help of Mike Monson. Uh, we were co-publishers. And then in 2017, Eric Campbell invited us on board. And uh, we've been there ever since, um, and it works out really well to be with him and Lance. They have such a wealth of experience in the industry. Uh, and that's where I first met you, actually, uh, uh, was at uh, Down and Out Books uh, event in St. Petersburg at BoucherCon that year uh, at that little uh, hole-in-the-wall bar away from the main uh, hotel. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that was uh, an interesting evening. <laughs> well, I, I can think of a couple of reasons why I'm curious which reasons you have. <laughs> I, I remember a, a, a story about a mummy that you and Matt uh, <laughs> told that I, yeah, I wasn't going around for that. But oh, uh, oh, you missed uh, out. A weird little bar, uh, very appropriate for the uh, <laughs> for the noir fiction that we're uh, creating. Uh, two of the drunkest bartenders I've ever seen. Yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> <too>. <laughs> uh, well, that mummy story is true, but I'm not going to tell it again. If people want to hear it, they can catch the uh, episode that Matt Phillips is on uh, the show because we talk about it. Uh, but it was uh, cool to meet you there and uh, immediately liked you. And I could tell that you were uh, a crime fiction lifer. That was obvious. Yeah, one of the things that I've really appreciate about working at all due respect is just, you know, watching writers careers develop um, and change. And, you know, maybe they, maybe they stay with us, maybe they, they move on. Um, but, you know, but either way that like, you know, I, being a part of every writer's career who we work with is, um, is really, really fun. Well, and that's kind of a throwback to what used to be in terms of that writer editor relationship i mean it's obviously changed from the f scott fitzgerald days but uh having that you know uh relationship where somebody is uh kind of shepherding your writing career along is is kind of rare these days i mean agents have kind of stepped in to do that in places but if you're not agented or or with a you know big publisher i don't know that that relationship is really quite as common as it used to be to so to hear that that's what you kind of cultivate there at all due respect is is pretty cool yeah i mean and I, I definitely think that eric and and lance at down and out do that as well we're not as much of a of a, of a business so we you know we i try it's not really like a contentious kind of thing one thing i'd say is that the the authors i work with are you know they're they're really good at communicating with me and, and I value communicating with them. So I think that's kind of where it all starts. Um, I, I'm hoping that there's not the, you know, sometimes it's a, there's a bit of a contentious relationship between writers and then people on like the business side of it, agents and publishers and things like that. Um, you know, obviously not always, but sometimes that's the case. And, you know, my, my one goal out of, being a publisher is that the the writers I work with have, 
you know, good experience with, with all due respect and that they, they feel like their book's been done justice. Um, you know, the last thing that I want to happen is, is somebody walking away feeling like I, you know, didn't listen to them or didn't take their, their book as seriously as, um, as they do. Well, that's, yeah. you know, that is uh, an interesting take because I, for me, it seems like there's, there's two very distinct stages uh, of, of the experience and there's a real hard stop between them. I mean, there's the creative stage where you are you know creating the book. Um, and once you have a finished book, gears shift to a very different approach where you're talking about how to, you know, sell that book. And it seems like if you keep those two things, you know, pretty well, uh, compartmentalized, uh, there's not a lot of room for conflict, but when they, when they cross those, when that line gets crossed and you're kind of trying to do both at once, that might be where more conflict is, 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 uh, likely. Oh yeah. I completely agree. Um, I think that there's often a tendency to try to reverse engineer the process <laughs> to uh -huh. say, well, okay, I'm going to write the most marketable thing I can and to almost be mm -hmm. promoting it before you even have a have a finished manuscript and that never leads to interesting fiction in my opinion i, I was talking to um to a writer recently mm -hmm. who we work with and he put it that this guy pablo Tester, who um, i'm a big fan of his work and he said he said well if there if there isn't some like if there isn't some magic to it you know if you're not executing what you what you sought out to do and if you're not expressing yourself well then then what's the you know, what's the point? Um, and th that's, that is how I feel about it. I mean, that's great for that author who, who made, you know, made a lot of money or made some money, you know, doing it. And, um, certainly I, uh, I wish them nothing but success, but that's, that's at least not how I go about it. <laughs> you work with a lot of writers, so you can tell me if I'm weird or if I'm, well, I am weird, but you can tell me if I'm, uh, uh the same as most of those writers are different. And that is, when you are a writer, much like when you're a musician or, or other creative walks of life, you identify yourself so much with your art. It's a piece of who you are. And so the idea of selling out is, is, is a lot more, I don't know, galling, I guess, than if it was, uh, you know, in a pursuit that you weren't, that you didn't have your identity tied to quite so much. Yeah. I mean, most of the writers I know get around that by working a day job. So, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even if you, uh, even if you, even if you get that, that, uh, that big contract and, you know, you, you manage to successfully reverse engineer the process, um, you'll probably need to, uh, need to hold on to that, to that day job anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the reasons I, I, uh, asked you to come on the show back, uh, I think we talked about your con in Dallas was where we discussed the, uh, possibility, um, was because of your editing background. And, uh, for those people who, out, who are listening that are either writers or readers who care about inside baseball, I, I'd like to dive into a, a little bit of editing talk just to, uh, kind of pick your brain a little bit and, uh, uh, see what falls out of interest. Great. And so I guess maybe I'll start with a question that as a freelance editor or as an editor of, a, of, of all due respect, what are some of the myths about editing that you think people have or, or conceptions that they have that just aren't accurate? I think the biggest misconception is that the editor and the writer's goals are different and that the editor wants to 
And, and actually, let me uh, add there, I haven't really had this experience with anyone. I've heard of other people having this experience. Most everyone I've worked with has been has been great. Like, you know, I've had very few problems down the line. But really, the editor and the writer's goal are the same, right? They want to both put out the best book possible. And as an editor, my goal is to do that by bringing the writer's vision to life as much as I possibly can. Um, so if there if there is an instance where the editor and the writer's goals are different, that is because the editor and writer haven't communicated well. Well, I think you just defined what good editing is in that answer, at least my my perception of it or my my take on it, and that is that a good editor doesn't, you don't see that editor's hand. All you do is you very clearly see the writer's hand. Um, you, you help the writer get out of his or her own way and really bring that writer's vision to, to fruition um, as opposed to imposing you know, your own vision on the writer. Is that at all close to what your take on it is? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that editing is a lot of work that hopefully no one notices. It's like in a musical that where you have a pit orchestra, right? You might have 30 people in a pit orchestra to play cats or, you know, whatever musical it is. Stay with me. This metaphor will work. I swear. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. But the, at the end of the show, you want to remember the actors and the people singing on stage and the story and the songs. You're not going to be thinking about who was playing second chair violin. Same thing goes with, with being an editor. The, yeah, the goal is to be invisible. You don't want to see, the, the editor's hand, but often with, with even with really excellent novels, there is a lot of work that goes into it from, um, from the editing side. Mm -hmm. Well, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see from writers? Um, and, and I'm going to split writers into two, two, two different groups here, you know, beginning writers and established writers, um, or, uh, if some of the mistakes apply to both, then, then, then they, then they do. Uh, but what are some of the biggest things uh, that you see and that writers can, you know, help themselves and their editors out by dealing with up front? Yeah, and that's, that is a, the right way to do it, to, to bring it into beginning writers and established writers, because um, I think they do tend to have different issues. With beginning writers, I would say that the thing I see most often is that they don't focus on the story and characters enough. They tend to start the story way too early, like kind of try to set everything up, right? And then they get off and divert to diversions that, you know, involve a character thinking for a long time or like a long description of setting, something along those lines. They know that if you stack up 80,000 words, you've got a novel. And so they, they <laughs> are completely willing to just throw in all sorts of other stuff, even if it's not particularly interesting relevant. Um, with advanced writers and professional writers, I would say that um, <laughs> this is a really small thing, but I see it over and over again. Characters smile a lot in books. Like sometimes <laughs> I'll, I'll look up the word smile and it'll come up, you know, several hundred times. Um, people kind of use it as like a crutch in dialogue to have an action to break it up. But um, 
Uh, no, I'm la- I'm laughing because uh, uh, for the listeners out there, uh, Chris was actually assigned uh, the remaining three novels in the Charlie 316 series that I wrote with Colin Conway. And we just got back the edits from Chris on the, uh, the first of those three, the second book in the series, Never the Crime. And Smile... Uh, was something you were very ruthless in attacking and and pointing out. (laughs) And it's one of those things that a good editor does. It's like you, it's like as a writer, it's like you leave the house with your fly down, you know, or something in your nose and the editor is the one that points it out. And then you're like, Oh my God, you know, of course that's, you know, my flies down, that's ridiculous. And you zip it up and then everything's great. But you don't notice those things like the fact that we had, interestingly enough, in both chapters I wrote and chapters that Colin wrote, uh, we had a lot of smiles happening, you know, and and you're right. I think it is a bit of a crutch. And when an editor points those things out, boy, you can really tighten things up by taking that editor's advice and either cutting down the frequency of it or changing the action or doing whatever you need to do. Yeah. And that's, you know. With every writer, there's, you know, there's something different. It's a crutch word or a crutch action or something like that. So advanced writers tend to have like more kind of specific, specific things that they, they deal with. My characters shrug oh, yes. a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, a, that's another one. Yeah, shrugging. Yeah, like, like you said, it's one of those things that if, uh, <laughs> yeah, leaving your, your fly down or your, you got something on your nose, Scarlett Johansson or Matthew McConaughey or um, whatever, other attractive person, right? They've, they've worked out how they look so much. You know, they, they look great. You know, you, they leave the house and they've got something on their nose and that's all anyone notices. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. Not quite the same with a novel, but uh, yeah. it kind of works. I think it happens. Those ticks happen a little bit in uh, early drafts because, you know, you don't write the book in one sitting, obviously. You write it a scene or a chapter at a time. And so maybe characters don't, smile over much in this one scene maybe a little bit but not too much they're not shrugging constantly you know but you know maybe too much but just a titch but then when you are reading you know you read much faster than you write obviously and you see three chapters in a row and you know there are a bunch of smiling shrugging fools and it really stands out to you know but you you wrote those in in isolation you know and so uh, the cumulative effect isn't really hitting you as the writer the reader or editor sees that and bam, they're, they're all over it. Um, yeah, I have to say, I'm going to endorse you right now as a, uh, as an excellent editor. Uh, and before we get to the end of the show, I want to make sure to, to talk about, uh, those freelance services that you do offer in case people are interested. Uh, but one way, you know, someone has done a good job of beta reading or they've done a good job of editing is when you get your manuscript back and you're reading through it, you're pissed off briefly like if you don't get mad briefly then the editing wasn't thorough enough and it's just funny i mean this might just be me maybe i'm the weird one here it's oh no it's not (laughs) but it's like i have an immediate visceral angry reaction like i'm being attacked and then as i've matured as a writer it's gone from like a week-long reaction to a day-long reaction to now a millisecond long reaction but you but now for me it's almost like uh uh, a litmus test if i feel that little quick flare of oh man oh wait he's right you know if i have that reaction then i know the editing has been good if i read through something somebody sends me back and it's all unicorns and rainbows then um you know i guess i know what worked but it, it it's not making the manuscript necessarily better 
Well, that's funny that you mentioned that because your book was, uh, I thought it was very clean. I mean, even for even for down and out, it was very clean. When they usually give me things that are, are most of the way there. Part of that, I think, is the process that uh, it's a collaboration and the process that we use is one that involves like uh, like if it were you and I, I'd write chapter one, send it to you. You'd immediately do a proof and, mm. and, and suggestions and revisions on chapter one and then write chapter two and send it back to me. Then I'm going over your take on chapter one diving in and editing on chapter two, and then I write chapter three. And so as you, you know, continue through a book of 65 chapters, you know, every chapter has been, you know, walked through at least twice after the original draft. And and you end up with more of a second draft at the end of it, maybe 2.5 rather than a first draft. And so that that's probably why it it came to you a little tighter than maybe uh, it would have been if it was a solo book by either Colin or I. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's really helpful to have someone in a collaboration who you really trust reading those chapters and giving you useful feedback um, and then working together. You know, I could see it coming out as a stronger book. I don't know how you do it, though. I don't know how you do the collab- like collaborating on a whole novel thing. <laughs> that sounds really, really tough to me. Well, it's really not a lot different than what you and I would do as a writer-editor relationship, actually. I, I mean, the only difference being, obviously, is you have two people... Uh, on the creative side, but essentially, especially in the relationship that I've developed with my friend Colin, you know, we're both writers and we're both editors essentially for that book. I mean, right. uh, I'm not a professional editor and I, I, my editing skills are, are nowhere to the level of yourself or, or some of the other uh, freelance uh, editors that I, that I know, but we're both playing that role for each other during the process. And so by the time it's finished it, it's generally better than, uh, like I said, it's it's generally tighter than my solo work and and Collins as well. But uh, but the way you you describe what you do as an editor, um, you know, other writers do that for each other too. I think it's just uh, the skill level and the knowledge level that an editor generally has um, is is so much deeper. Yeah, I mean, I started out uh, my career in journalism um, and. I also worked for a proofreading service for um, six, seven years, something like that. So that's where I kind of sharpened all my skills in terms of, you know, knowing the Chicago guide to style, grammar rules, all that kind of stuff, which is, you know, the, the building blocks of editing. And then taking over at all due respect when it was a magazine um, and working on the publishing side to that sort of instilled in me the sense of story and character and all the elements of fiction as well but yeah but I, I started with this proofreading service you know just reading college essays that people sent in and things like that and you know and and that was where I uh where I really became my you know uh, a more critical reader and you know became good at spotting proofreading errors and all that that copy editing side of things well when we were talking about beginning writers you talked about the them you know stacking 80,000 words together to make a novel and you know i mean i'm dating myself a little bit here but the phone book is 80,000 words it's not a novel so you know i mean that, i think that was your point right is it's not just about word count um, yeah and, and and other mistakes like having the main character stand in front of a mirror and describe themselves and male writers making sure that the their female 
protagonist lovingly describes her own breasts and things like this are, are you know, pretty common mistakes that you see. But what are some of the other mistakes that you see or things that you think writers could really do themselves a favor if they focused on up front? I think that one, and, and advanced writers struggle with this too sometimes actually, uh, but definitely beginner writers too. Point of view is something that I continually come back to. It's always easier. If you're a beginning writer, I would say try to write your first novel in first person or third person limited. Those are your best options because that means you will get into the least amount of trouble talking about things that the character can't know or accidentally head hopping, going from one character to another character's viewpoint um, in the middle of a scene, things like that. Lately in the industry, I've just noticed that multiple points of view is almost the almost the standard now. It's kind of expected that you're going to tell a story, especially a novel, from a lot of different points of view. And that can work really well. Um, Charlie 316 is a good example of that. Your House Will Pay by Steph Cha uses multiple uh, points of view in, in third person, works very well. There, I mean, I could go on. There's a, a million books that work really well that way. However, it's the most difficult to do. Part of that is because you don't establish who the protagonist is right away, right? If I'm writing in first person, you're going to know who the protagonist is on page one. You know what they want, you know, you know their yeah. their goals, their hopes and dreams and all it's that. It's very rare that the narrator in a first person isn't the protagonist. I mean, your, your, your uh, Sherlock Holmes setup is, is not very common. Right, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And, you know, there is something to be said for, for playing and experimenting with things. But if you're kind of looking to, to play it safe, that's the, that's the best way to go. You, you mentioned head hopping, though, um, and, and that's a pet peeve of mine. It drives me crazy, and I'm always watching for it. And that, for people that are, aren't exactly sure what we're, we're talking about here, how would you describe that phenomenon? Yeah, so if you have a scene where... It's in one character's perspective. It starts in their perspective. They're, you know, you're, you're, let's say, accessing their thoughts, what they think about everything that's going on. And then in the middle of that scene, you jump to someone else's perspective and you're suddenly, you know, you're suddenly in their thoughts, like how they're perceiving the whole scene. That's what head hopping is. Uh, there are some writers who can pull it off inexplicably to me. Like there is the occasional writer who's, <laughs> I've never seen uh, one. I'm, I'm interested I'm to hear to think, if I think you have. Elmore Leonard's done it before. I've noticed oh. it, and he gets away <laughs> with it, you know. Yeah. But uh, your average writer is not is it's not so going jarring. To. And and it, I think the reason that is so jarring and what's so bad about it is it 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 commits the cardinal sin and reminds the reader that they're reading, and anything that you do that breaks up that flow and that suspension of disbelief that I'm, you know, not watching a movie in my head. To me, that's there, there's a red flag that something has to be fixed. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a really good way of putting it. Any, anything that you do that like calls attention to the reader that this is a book and I'm reading, unless you're doing something experimental and, you know, Breaking the fourth probably, wall. Probably something. not the best call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 and most writers do it uh, by mistake. You catch, you, you know, you're reading it and you, you realize, oh, you just head hopped here. And, and it can usually be fixed, right, by just uh, getting that information across in some fashion from the 
initial narrator, the the primary narrator in that scene. But I have seen a couple people try to do it on purpose and terribly, in my opinion. And it's just uh, uh, doesn't work. Doesn't work. I, I despise it. It's like semicolons. I hate them. <laughs> uh, I hope I didn't add any semicolons to your, to your novel. <laughs> I, I don't remember if you did or not, and if you did, they were probably right. I just oh uh, uh, yeah, no, we, we uh, you don't you don't uh, you don't ever need them. I mean, you can they're pretentious little bastards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like people have a uh, very like strong opinions about about specific kinds of uh, kinds of punctuation, myself included. I, I think I almost always take out parentheses, but that's that's mm. just my own subjective bias there. Well, I think a period or a comma, depending on the situation, probably works better for, for those semicolon 99% of the times. So, uh, you know, something that I, I wanted to explore with you real quickly too, that, that maybe a lot of folks out there aren't entirely clear on, is that when you're talking about editing, there are very different and clearly defined layers of editing that that occur it's not all just one monolithic hey edit this there's there's different levels of editing and and maybe you could uh run us through those real quick so people can get a handle on them yes um so the first level is developmental editing developmental editing is when you look at a the big parts of a story, right? You know, the plot, the character, the points of view, all that, that like high level stuff, the structure. Uh, so typically what I do with those is that I provide the writer with a manuscript evaluation, um, usually about 10-ish pages of feedback on, you know, everything that went right and wrong in the novel. Um, even, and the funny thing is with developmental editing as well, is that, you know, I might say I might sit down and read a book and say, "Wow, this is really good," and I've still got ten pages of critiques about it, which is uh, a weird thing. I kind of I approach this kind of editing like I am a lawyer, right? And I have to prove my case. Mm -hmm. I can't just say that this character is weak and I don't like them. I have to find lots of specific evidence in the manuscript to support that argument. Would you say then that? The quality of the book, you're going to write 10 pages of critique, for instance, regardless of the quality of the book. But the, the biggest difference might be how uh, how narrow your critique is or how are you are you nitpicking smaller things or are you uh, dealing with, you know, huge issues uh, that that would be the difference in, in a good book versus a, a poor one? Yes, I would say that that is the that is the difference. Um, so. And with a book that's not as strong, I might write 10 pages, but then leave out a lot that I just only focus on the, the big things that I think are problematic. Whereas with, uh, you know, a manuscript that's further along, um, I might do 10 pages, but then be looking at smaller, more technical issues. Would you call uh, developmental editing, are, are, you, are you getting a little bit into the creative uh, kind of almost collaboration a little short of that, but are you, for instance, I guess, you know, a copy editing, which is the lightest version, which is basically proofreading plus, right? You're not getting into anything creative, but at the developmental level, you are kind of getting into the creative elements of it, right? Oh, yes, definitely. And I would say that I would never expect or, or even want a writer to take all of my suggestions 100% literally and just put all of them into the manuscript. That's probably never happened and never will happen. Uh, you know, it's, it's 
at that point, these are suggestions for the writer to take and do what they like with it. My my hope is that like I'm you know both providing a, a reasonable critique of where the the weak points are, and then offering some solutions. That's where it gets a little thornier. You know, do we agree on what the solution mm-hmm. is? Um, well, you know, sometimes yes, and sometimes no. Um, and often writers, you know, will throw back solutions to me and I'll say, okay, that's way better than what I suggested. Let's go with that instead. Mm-hmm. So developmental editing is the deepest level of editing. What uh, And copy editing, you know, everybody kind of knows that's just, you know, like I said, proofreading plus. Uh, what What's in between? What are some of the other layers? I, I typically think about it in three layers and then the, the middle layer would be line editing, which is, you know, where copy editing might be, oh, you, you missed a word here, you spelled one word two different ways, and then line editing is okay. Well, this is phrasing is awkward. Let's let me suggest a, a way to rephrase that. More like paragraph and and sentence level editing. Uh, I, I typically do line and copy editing together. What is like the best and worst experience you've had uh, as an editor, and why? Okay, so the best experiences I've had. I mean, it's hard to even say because I've had a, I've had you know mostly really great experiences working with writers. I think there's something about crime fiction that, you know, it doesn't attract a lot of prima donnas and people who have really high opinions of themselves. Um, something along those lines. So most people have been very receptive to their to the feedback I've given. And um, one of my earliest edits was on a Tom Pitts book. And I've just I've been working with him for, for years. I just love working with Tom. He's just such a great writer and such a nice guy. Um, and everything he writes is just electric. Uh, so, you know, working with him has been um, fantastic. When you're working with someone like that and your job is to edit them, do you ever find yourself just sitting there going, wow, this is so good? <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, and that's, I mean, and that's the, the height of it, right? I'm thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm reading these, these writers who, you know, I just have nothing but, but respect for. And, you know, I would just, if I, if I wasn't, if I wasn't doing it there at my computer, I'd be, uh, I'd be on my Kindle, you know, reading it um, instead. Um, sometimes I reflect on that and think, wow, this is, this is a, this is a pretty good, pretty good thing I got going here. <laughs> and with, with writers like that, you know, I do really, that's what I would say is the, is one of the big differences with, with advanced writers is I'm thinking, okay, well, do I really want to mess with what they've got going here? Right, like I really have to make sure that that what I'm what I'm saying is uh is worthwhile because the the last thing I'd want to do is is show my show my hand in in their work. Worst experiences, <laughs> I mean, probably probably not. A, this is a, isn't terribly surprising, but is um, working with with I've gotten a couple of instances without without uh you know revealing any names or anything like that where you know people think I'm going to I don't know launch their their career or get Stephen King to blurb them or something like that, which is not something I could do even if I wanted to. Um, and, uh, you know, and just having very outlandish expectations for what an editor is going to, uh, is going to do. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's very frustrating. I've become a little more hesitant to, you know, give out my phone number and things like that. Mm-hmm. When you say that you're talking about as an editor of, of all due respect versus as a freelance. Yes. So yeah, that, that was with a, 
with a couple of, of freelance clients. Yeah, not with no, not with all due respect. I I really haven't had any uh, bad experiences with with that. Um, when you look at the list of people that are there, there there doesn't appear to be anybody that you'd have to worry about in that respect. Yeah, I I, I usually I try to you know work with people I know, and if I if I don't know them, then I I have the opportunity to to vet them. Um, I, I mean, and that's like that that probably sounds more serious than it than it really is. Like you know, I just want to work with nice people who are you know good writers and uh everybody in the all due right. respect uh, catalog fits that yeah yeah for sure so if people want to get in touch with you to uh, potentially do some freelance work uh how would they go about doing that sure they would go to chrisradiganediting.com so that's c-h-r-i-s-r-h-a-t-i-g-a-n editing.com just my name plus editing.com um, and I've got all of my services uh, uh, listed there. And, um, of course, you can always hit me up on social media as well. And also, you want to check out All Due Respect Books, which is the publishing company I've worked with for a while now. That's alldurespectbooks.com. Uh, I've been to both websites, uh, both very easily navigable. And your uh, freelance editing website has a good description of services and, and, uh, cost and expectations and all of that. And, and you probably have other freelance editors that you can refer to if you're, uh, too busy or, or have to put somebody off. Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, Chris, uh, I really enjoyed speaking with you and, um, uh, it was nice to get an editor on the show in the midst of all these writers. And of course, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you're also a writer that two bullets solve everything. And one we didn't talk about, you don't exist. Uh, both uh, have a byline that says Chris Radigan after him. So uh, people can experience uh, uh, what an editor writes like if they want to check those out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Frank. Well, there you are, folks. Uh, pretty good picture of Chris Radigan, the editor the publisher and the writer uh and the person uh he's a, a cool dude nice guy uh and uh and as i mentioned i can uh, i can attest to his uh editing abilities um he uh just edited uh, one of the books colin and i wrote uh, for down out books and enough can't be said uh about the importance of of good editing i think that in this uh current publishing market where you have uh, traditionally published titles and then you have smaller press titles and independent titles that people publish themselves, uh, you know, good editing is necessary regardless. And uh, discerning readers really quickly pick up on poor editing, whether they identify it as poor editing or not, the, the poor result uh, that they're seeing really, really grabs them and just pushes them away. And that's obviously not what you want. Uh, so if you're a writer out there who's looking for good editors, uh, someone like Chris uh, is a, a great choice. Uh, on our next episode of Wrong Place, Right Crime, we're going to go to Ontario, Canada uh, and talk to Brenda Chapman. Uh, so that'll be fun. That's on the next episode. Uh, no Zafiro update other than to say that uh, the newest episode of a grifter song still life with suitcase by scott eubanks will be dropping on may 1st uh the current episode for april uh, eric beatner's 
The Sound of Breaking Bones is all already available. Uh, you can pick either of those up, as well as the first three episodes of this season from Eric Pruitt, Holly West, and Awesome Maria Bradley. Uh, or you can subscribe to the whole whole season, and really that's the way to go, because you get a break on the price, and you get a bonus episode. I have it on good authority that the bonus episode this season especially will shed light on a few things that uh, might change how you see them. I'd like to say thanks to Chris for coming on the show and to Down Out Books for being a great sponsor. And as always to you, the listener, thanks for firing up this podcast and uh, being a part of this uh, whole experience, uh, especially during these times where we're, we're all kind of holed up in our own caves. It's uh, nice to know that there's uh, some connections happening as a result of, of uh, putting this podcast together. Brenda Chapman is our next guest. Until then. This is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime. <laughs>